0: My name's Mel Herbert, and he's Tom Wolfson. We're going to be talking about the cars, the batteries, the solar panel, the stock price, the man, the myth. We're going to be talking about everything Tesla. Why? Because
1: we're talking. 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 Talking.
0: Talking. 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 Talking Tesla. <sniffs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's time for Talking Tesla 39, and I'm here with Robert. He's looking very lovely over Skype in the beautiful uh, Davis Woo-hoo. that is California. Loving the life in
1: Davis, California. It's hot, but not as hot as in Southern California. No, no. Sorry that I'm not there to share it with you, Mel. Yeah,
0: it's, it is. Uh, today is going to be where I am. It's estimated to be 115 degrees, which is a bit... Upsetting. That's about 50 degrees for those of you in the Celsius world.
1: Too bad you don't have the solar panels that actually make hot water at the same time as electricity. (laughs) Yeah, it would be a really good
0: time for those solar panels that uh, convert the heat and the photons. Because the heat of those solar panels is going to be the same as the heat of the sun. But we do not have them as yet. And Tom can't be with us because Tom is off in Chicago. Actually, no, he was in Chicago. And then he went to South Dakota. And apparently there is no internet in South Dakota. So I actually, again, have to apologize this week for the sort of crappy audio quality. Because whenever you do it over Skype, it's nowhere near as good as when we do it in studio. But uh, we'll try and keep it uh, short and entertaining for you as we work through some of this week's stories. And one of the big stories this week is... ...calculating the cost of storage. I'm kind of fascinated by this. I'm fascinated by renewables. And I'm fascinated by this change over to renewables... ...on both an individual scale and a large scale. And we've talked a lot about the fact that... ...on an individual scale, I don't think the cost of batteries... ...is low enough at this point... ...for me to go out and buy a Tesla Wall... And be fully independent because it's, you know, three to $5,000 for just 10 kilowatts. And I really need a hundred or two hundred because I want to charge my car up. So we're talking a hundred thousand dollars probably. But at scale, where are we? There's an article that's referenced on RS Technica, which is actually a really scientific article, which talks about at scale. A lot of math. If lots of math. What is the cheapest way to do storage? And they looked in different parts of the country, and they looked at pumped hydro. They looked at compressed uh, air into caverns. They looked at a number of different ways of storing energy. And this is from an economic point of view. They were asking the question, will this add profit? to people who are making renewable uh, energy on scale. So it's not really the question I'm interested in, which is just technically, can you do it for not too much money? And they found that really pumped hydro in most, in sort of California in the Southwest, is probably the cheapest right now. But then Robert sort of brought up a number of weeks ago, this thing called the, ARS or it's the giant train that's really heavy that you pull up the hill when you've got excess and then it comes down the hill when it's got less. They say that they're half of pumped hydro. So I wonder they didn't, this article didn't actually look at that. But at scale, I think we're starting to get to the point is it generating the energy now we can do for less than the cost of burning coal in most places. Now it's all about the cost of storage.
1: That's really exciting. I think that. If the sun shone 24 hours a day, the problem would be done. Or if the wind blew 24-7 every day of the year, we'd be done. But we can't, and it doesn't. And I think we do need to continue to look for ways to store. I like when uh, Tom brought us the story from Yellowstone, where they repurposed batteries from Toyota Camrys, the hybrid Camrys, and they put a whole bunch of them in a shed and they use them at night to trickle back electricity into the the system for that group of uh, research huts or or, uh, cabins, And as Teslas get older, as all these electric cars get older and their batteries can't cycle, I think that's going to need to be worked into their economic picture so that they could consider that there's a lot of secondhand batteries out there that could be used and make electric storage much cheaper.
0: I have no problem. Let's say I drive my Tesla for another three or four years and it's degraded a little bit. And if there was an easy way to just have somebody come over and pop the battery off and shove it on the side of my house and put an inverter on it and I go get a Model 3, that would be cool because then I really feel like I'm getting my money's worth out of the car and then out of the battery. Yeah, so another solution here is sort of a software solution, but it's also an infrastructure solution, which is the sun is always shining somewhere in the world. And so one of the other ways people have at least thought about this technically, is that you could be generating energy for the West Coast while it's shining on the East Coast or vice versa. Or if you had a totally globally connected grid, which almost certainly is not going to happen, it's always sunny somewhere. And so you could be exchanging electrons uh, between you know states and maybe even countries, depending on how you set that up. There's also a lot of uh, new sort of developments in You've Got Solar, And I've got solar, and my friend down the street has solar, and using virtual technologies, we could become part of a consortium, and we share solar between us. So maybe there's some um, cloudiness over your house, but my house is going great. Maybe there'd be a way to connect it that way. It starts to get really technical and get very expensive, but these are part of the solutions that people are thinking
1: about. And maybe Colorado will become more famous Not just for growing marijuana, but because they have all those big mountains, and they're somewhat between the West Coast and Texas and the East Coast, they could be maybe the big water uh, reservoir energy generating uh, sink that we need to store a lot of energy. So in the morning, it's bright in the East Coast not yet in Colorado, and then later in the day, it's bright in California, but not on the East Coast, and Colorado could be this interchange of electrical storage. I like
0: that idea that we could just basically dam off all of uh, Colorado. I mean, some people are going to have to move, it happens, but we could just turn the whole thing into a dam that's uh, hydroelectricity for the rest of the country. Um, My three relatives that live in Colorado are probably not going to be happy about that. Whatever.
1: (laughs) Maybe more fishing, you know, than that. Uh, bass, that Bass store that looks like a giant, uh, what is like a, it's like a store slash amusement park would have a lot more business.
0: You know, this giant heat wave that we're having right now, and it's a a heat sink thing that's all over the, I think over the southwest, maybe over the entire country. I got emails from the Department of Water and Power, which is my local power company, saying, please, 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 we're expecting everybody to turn their air conditioners on all day and most of the night. Turn off everything you don't need turned on. So turn off your pool pump. Turn your air conditioner thermostat up to 78, because uh, this is going to be a nightmare. But... I've been checking, and even with all my air conditioners on now when it's sunny, I'm still way ahead. So I think this is another argument for distributed solar, particularly on days like today, where you basically make your own, and I'm not going to stress
1: the grid at all. Well, I wonder, you know, I don't hear the power companies complaining today that, oh, there's too much solar on everybody's roof. We're going to have to start charging you extra because we can't handle it. If they didn't have that, they would be shit out of luck. I know, we're really
0: helping them out today. So it goes both ways. Companies, you help, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Let's talk about cars. Let's talk about Porsche. I found this uh, article really fascinating. So, Porsche basically, uh, you know, everybody's taking a sort of poke at Tesla because they've come along. They're an American car manufacturer, first one in 80 years, and they've been very successful to date. They're getting all of the press. And so. BMW, Volvo, Porsche, everybody's trying to sort of bring them down because it's not good for business if this car manufacturer comes along and steals a giant chunk of, uh, you know, your market share. This ridiculous thing says this the thing about Tesla's ludicrous mode is that it's a facade. Two launches saps the whole battery, which is absolutely not true. That won't be the case with the Mission E, which is their new electric car that they've got coming. You'll be able to run it hard and the battery won't overheat and etc. etc. And so they go on to say, like, this is just marketing on Tesla's part. This really fast, sexy mode is just pure marketing. You're not going to use it all the time. And I just think it's such B.S. because Porsche's entire market share is based on being fast and sexy and completely impractical.
1: But when somebody does it better than them, they get all pissy. I think it's just ridiculous. And they are complaining about how the seats suck on the Tesla. Go stuff it up your seat, Porsche. (laughs) Porsches are the well, I have friends with Porsches and I don't find them at all uh,
0: comfortable. I actually don't even find them that fast after riding in Teslas. So it's just interesting when you read this stuff. Yeah. Ludicrous Mode is exactly that. It is a facade. It is a game. It is part of Elon sort of showing the world, if you want to just go super fast, I can make you a car that's super fast. And that's fun and you want to pay for it, that's good. It's not really the end game here. The end game is the Model 3 and what comes after that. But yeah, I can make you a super sexy great car. It's good marketing. But nobody's going to be driving around on Ludicrous
1: Mode taking the kids to school. And if you look at all of the different YouTube videos of... Testosterone infused men racing their cars at the drag strip. I don't think there are many Porsches that have ever beat a ludicrous Model X, uh, a Model S, or even a Model X for that matter. And they're pissed about it. So we'll move on. Hey,
0: look, there's been a token of appreciation by uh, Tesla. This was uh, on Tesla which said, Early reservation holders got to get, got to get, is that a word? Can you say that? Hand sketches of the Model 3. And I don't know what an early reservation model holder is because I haven't got one.
1: Did you get one? I did, but I haven't gotten the, the printout yet, the, uh, the poster. I actually got one in another setting. I've got now all three of them. There's actually a Model S, a Model X, and a Model 3 uh, concept poster that was penned probably, I can't assume, but it's signed by uh, Franz van Holzhausen, the chief design architect for the Tesla uh, builds and uh, and they're really quite cool. They're like I think about eighteen by twenty inches. They come in a nice little Tesla tote, kind of like a cardboard tote, and they're really pretty cool. I-, I was interested to see if they'd start hitting the eBay market yet, and they haven't. Oh, you wouldn't sell it, would you, Robert? This is historic. No, I I no, I'm not ready to sell it. But uh, you know, I got a Tesla umbrella. It's a small umbrella, and it's not really well-made. It actually got two of them, and one of them already broke. And I went on eBay this morning to see if anything was for sale, and lo and behold, I saw the umbrella for – how much do you think, Mel? A kind of a cheap umbrella. It says Tesla on it. Uh, 20 bucks. What do you think? $150. Sell. Sell.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I got one of those. I've got the X, uh, and it came with an umbrella. And I walked into the house and I gave it to my wife and
1: said, here's your $100,000 umbrella that you ordered. (laughs) Exactly. Well, my wife's really excited about selling it as well. So I'm sure I'll be on eBay a little later today. Go look up and see. Mine's only going to be $125.
0: That's great. (laughs) Everybody can go snap that up. Autonomy, you know, increasingly… If you follow the arc of this show, even in the year that it's existed, we've gone from talking about autonomous vehicles a little bit to talking about them all the time to probably, I predict in a year or so, three-quarters of this show will be about autonomy. This is um, an article from Thrillist, and it's about Volvo autonomy. And uh, basically, it is, again, one of these, we, Volvo, want to kick Tesla's butt. So they've actually been um, boasting for, You know, months now that they have a set of autonomous uh, technologies which is far superior to that of Teslas. Now we haven't really seen them out there. We haven't seen them tested head to head but they say that they've got things like sensors now that can detect between small animals and big animals and they call it moose mode because a lot of people (laughs) are killed by mooses running across in front of their Volvos and Volvo really wants to continue to be seen as it has my entire life as the really safe car. The car you get if you want to put a loved one in that's not going to get killed in carrickson so they really want to push this and they're very critical of tesla they're more on the google side of things which is we shouldn't release a lot of this autonomous driving stuff until it is ready until it's baked in because as google has said if you give people semi-autonomy they will be more distracted not less distracted so they seem to be suggesting that they're going down that philosophical route of we're going to release this autonomous driving stuff When it's fully baked or close to fully baked. But again, I am excited about this. I. I find it interesting and fun the games that the manufacturers have between each other and Elon will tweet out something bad about them and vice versa. But really what's important is that there's competition. They really do want to outdo each other. And that gets all their engineers fired up and they're going to make theirs safer than yours. And good, good. Keep having a pissing match. I love it. Keep going.
1: Have you ever seen, Mel, what a moose can do to a car? Um,
0: I've never seen what a moose can do to a car. But in Australia, I can tell you what a cow and a kangaroo can do to a car. Completely obliterate Uh,
1: it. Well, you know, I've been driving around in the Sierras the last few days, and I have i have to say, very sadly, probably run over four squirrels. I couldn't believe it. I tried to avoid them. But, you know, when you're going fast on a mountain road, there's not a lot of room for you to be swerving around. But they don't hear a Tesla coming. And they are literally right in front of my car looking up with this deer in the headlights (laughs) kind of look. And so I've gotten to the point now where I'm watching for squirrels and little animals, like birds just sitting on the road. And I'm honking my horde and my wife the other day we're driving along and some other guy was on the road and she thought, well, they probably think you're honking at the other car. The other car's going to get upset or think something's wrong. And the reality is I'm just trying to get the animals out of my way, trying to be green. It's
0: in Australia. It's a huge deal. There's big freeways that go across the country and people are doing 80 miles an hour. And what the kangaroos do, they're very similar to deer. They seem to wait till the last second and go, oh, my God, there's a car. I should jump in front of it. And uh, they jump, actually. And so they can actually come through the windscreen of the car because they're high up in the air. And then you hit them at 80 miles an hour and you're dead. So you'll see these big uh, trucks, these road trains, they're called in Australia, with these giant grill bars that go from the ground all the way up past the window, and those things don't stop. They just plow at 80 miles an hour, kangaroos hitting them, and small Australians, and they just gun through the deserts. It's kind of awesomely scary. I thought that
1: was just something from Mad <laughs> no, Max. it's real, baby. The Nullarbor Plague.
0: Tesla is watching you. So part of this autonomous stuff is collecting enormous amounts of data so that you can improve your autonomous vehicles. So this is um, – A from Technology Review by this guy called Sterling Anderson, who's the director of Tesla's autopilot program. And he was recently interviewed by an MIT Technology Reviews. And there's a lot of interesting stuff in this article, but it basically says they are capturing what is only described as a truly enormous amount of data. They have accrued already 780 million miles of data. That is
1: a lot of data. Except that we're actually probably at a billion right, right now because every 10 hours they're getting another million miles that's
0: isn't that amazing a million and i remember when google first announced we've got a million miles of data and then i think they have up to maybe three million miles of data now granted google is capturing a lot more stuff they're doing something very different but just in terms of sheer miles driven on semi-autonomy Every hour, every 10 hours, there's another million miles. That's a lot of data to crunch. Now, presumably what's happening with all of this is it's being fed into large computers to make the programs safer and safer and safer. But it's also suggested that they're capturing a lot of data that you're never going to know
1: about. What exactly that data is, I'm not sure, but I can tell you when you crash your car, don't lie. Yeah, that's for sure. And don't, uh, I was worried when I first got my Tesla that if I exceeded the speed limit, or I did something that was maybe not so wise that Tesla would rat me out. But it seems that they're holding the, uh, holding the line on that, and they're, they're protecting us owners. But at the same time, when our owners start making up lies that make Tesla look bad, uh, they're gonna burn out. They you. will use it against you. And just as it- So I just did some quick mm-hmm. math. It's actually 91 days uh, after that interview that I would expect to hit a billion. So maybe come around September, we're going to see uh, some announcements that a billion miles of autonomous observed driving have been reached. I think that's way. It's cool. going to also become exponential.
0: I would expect because as they have more and more cars on the road which have uh, this autonomous driving capacity or semi-autonomous. I should be very clear. And um, you've also got the old ones, and then the Model Three comes out, and you have hundreds of. They'll be able to generate tens of millions to hundreds of millions of miles per day, I would expect very soon. And that's what Elon was talking about a number of weeks ago. We need billions of miles of data just to
1: really refine this. They're going to become the Google of autonomous driving, watching everybody's moment uh, movement. But I thought what was cool about this was it gives us an insight as to the difference between Tesla's approach and Google's approach, which appears to be maybe the same as Volvo's approach. And that is uh, the uh, Chris Ermson who leads the tech, the Google uh, autonomy project gave an interview at Mtech. I'm not sure what Mtech was, but he basically told this story about how uh, in 2014 they decided to experiment using Google employees in their self-driving cars. So they needed more people to get out there and they wanted to probably test the lay population. And so Google employees would sign up, they would take the autonomous car. It had a steering wheel. They were told to stay alert, to take over if necessary. And they they he related this story of one guy who pulls out his laptop because um, the battery on his cell phone was low. Or I, I didn't get the whole story. But basically, he's 65 miles an hour on the freeway. He takes his eyes off the road, turns away from the steering wheel, pulls out his laptop, fires up his laptop, and does all this stuff. And they must have, like, cameras in the car. And he was like, oh, This is not good. So Google, which is worth, I don't know, as much as probably most countries in the world does not want to be sued by some family that gets wiped out by one of their autonomous vehicles. So they put the, the, the brake on this whole, like we need it so perfect that the car has to have no steering wheel or pedals and piloted by software alone. And that's, that's their, that's their philosophy. And Tesla obviously has a different bent.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see who wins this. Because before I got uh, the X with semi-autonomous driving, I was of the Google type. I'm like, this shouldn't be released until it is 100% done and done. Then once you drive with some semi-autonomy, it's really nice. It's very helpful, particularly in LA traffic, to be able to just sort of take – a little mental break and let the car do the stop-and-go traffic. Again, I've said many times on the show, I'm still really anxious about it driving at 70 miles an hour and doing its thing. Um, But in certain circumstances, it's really helpful. If you try to take away my um, cruise control, if you try to take away most people's cruise control who are going on big trips, they'd kill you. It's so much nicer. And that's semi-autonomy. So I'm not sure now what's the right way to do it. Um, there will be accidents with semi-autonomous driving. We've seen some, and it makes us a little bit anxious. But uh, I don't think there is a right answer. It's two different philosophical approaches there. You should go and look at the TED Talk. So if you do a Google search, TED Talk, uh, Google autonomous driving, you can see how they capture data, how much data they're capturing, uh, So, sort of big radar, the Kentucky Fried Chicken thing that they have on the top of their car. It's all very interesting, but it is very different um, than Tesla's philosophical approach. But just sort of know that there is two Two basic philosophies going at it, and not one will win. They're, just, they're both going to occur at the same time.
1: It sort of like reminds me of last night I was watching the end of the NBA finals. This is sort of like watching the autonomy uh, world series, watching what Volvo's, Volvo's doing, what Audi's doing, what Tesla and Google and like Apple, for example. I expect Apple is probably going to follow Tesla's approach since they poach so much of the Tesla engineering staff There's got to be some kind of synchrony going on there.
0: I wonder, you know, Apple is the big interesting one here because everybody else is very vocal. We're doing X, we're doing Y. Apple is being incredibly quiet. And the thing that Apple has that we all know is a huge amount of cash. So they can go away into their little box for three years, four years with all these people and come out with a fully baked, completely done system and not have to worry about a cash burn like Tesla has to keep selling stock in order to you know, make uh, their cars, to uh, have enough money to pay people. Apple has so much money, they don't have to worry about this. So I expect we'll hear nothing from them and then they'll come out with their fully baked system. And the other thing we know about Apple is that they don't care about being first to market. They're always second or third to market. They didn't have the first, you know, smartphone. They didn't have the first tablet. They wait. They get it to where they're pretty happy that it's really sexy and cool. And then they release. And I bet you that's what they'll do with their car.
1: And they've got a pretty good track record for it. Did you see the link I gave you for Audi? So I wondered, like, what are the other car companies doing? And I looked and I found this interesting YouTube and a few articles by Audi. They're going after the racing market. That's their autonomous... uh, Mother load. And so they've converted an RS7 or maybe two because maybe, I don't know, they have a car, it's named Robbie. They also have a car named Bobby, you know, racing around some race course with a driver and then without a driver. And the reality is, when you watch it racing, I felt like I was going to fall yeah, asleep. I'd- it hit the corners and it slowed <laughs> down and then it went faster. And still the guy who wrote the article, uh, Baymy, he agrees with me that Robbie is, <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> well, it's being safe. And then I think it's one of the big things of autonomy is like, how do you program in our sense of risk taking? And not have us kill each other like we do now.
0: Yeah, that'll be another interesting thing as this becomes fully baked. Theoretically, what people have said is that you'll be able to take cars out and do 120 miles an hour and be three inches behind each other if everybody's autonomous. Because, you know, the reflexes of a computer, if you want to call it that way, are way faster than us. So you don't have to have, you know, four seconds between each car. But we probably won't allow that until there really is no human driver. So that is probably decades away before you see cars whipping down the freeway
1: at 300 miles an hour they'll probably be made to go at 55 right and i wonder if like all of that signage i'd hate to own one of those companies that puts up all that signage you ever go like one mile on the 405 and those signs are like many many hundreds maybe thousands of dollars each won't need any of them that's they'll say things like (laughs) coca-cola yeah
0: Google. That's right. Oh, the whole world will be different. So exciting. Look, superchargers. Let's talk about superchargers. Tesla had an article by Electric Gen. Well, the article is supposed to be about Don't Worry About Superchargers. And uh, she basically says, look, this is a
1: solution. Excuse me, Mel. I got a sneeze. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if yeah, you caught uh, that. I did. I, I have great respect for Electric general she's uh been very vocal in the Tesla community, but. I don't this, think so. yeah, this article actually
0: made me a little frustrated because it doesn't really answer the question that I had, which is, okay, is this going to be a problem? She says, don't worry about it. Now, there is some useful stuff here, and it says, look, um, Tesla is making lots of superchargers. Okay, I've got that. Uh, so far, this congestion is only an issue in a few really busy places. Okay, I got that, but I happen to live in an area where that happens, and it's a total pain in the butt. She said, Look, you could do a pay per use, which might fix a lot of these issues, but they're never going to do that. So it's kind of a silly argument. What the good parts of this is that she has suggested some best practices. And here are just some of them. And I think this is the real, the best part of this article, which is actually a link. And it says, You should use charging for charging, not for parking. Okay, that makes sense. Um, you should get the charge you need, then move on. You shouldn't charge more than 90% of the battery capacity because we know that last 10 or 20% is really slow. So just charge up to 80% and get the heck out of there. And if you need a short charge, stay with your car so that as soon as you've got enough charge, get out and move on. And if you're not going on a long trip, don't use the supercharger. Now, if you live next to one, she's suggested you're probably going to use the supercharger, but at least do your charging when it's not a peak travel period so that people who need it to travel um, can get in there and and charge. So I think all of this is really good, but I think that she misses the point, which is this in no way reduces my anxiety about the fact that when we have many, many more cars, we're going to have much, much more congestion, and that is going to be a huge problem because where I am, There's multiple times where I've had to wait. And you're in Culver City, which is a very busy place with lots
1: of Teslas. Do you have to wait? I would say two out of five times that I visit the supercharger. And sometimes I visit it at like one in the morning. It's full. And there's a line. I don't go quite as often as my wife does. But she constantly, you know, relates that she's there. There's three cars waiting. There's four cars waiting. There's people bailing because they can't wait. And uh, the announcements that have come from Tesla are that they're not going to expand existing supercharger locations that already have 10 or 12 actual plugs. They're going to recreate more uh, Tesla superchargers within a vicinity. And if you look at the Tesla supercharger map, which I was looking at it again last night in preparation to talk about destination chargers, the uh, end of 2016 in Southern California Where we have, like, I would say between, like, the Orange County Supercharger and Oxnard, we have, like, a total of, like, five or six superchargers. That number is going to more than double. The number of red dots are going to, it's just exploding. So we're going to get to the point where there's going to be the good superchargers and the bad superchargers, the ones you want to go to because you know they're not going to be so busy. Maybe people don't know them so well. I honestly, I don't know how people figure out where they are. People who drive Teslas, do some, like many of them don't even know how to open up this port. I mean, I've met people who are really uh, green, not green because they bought a Tesla, but green because they don't know how to work their Tesla. And that's why I keep telling them to listen to this podcast to get a lot more insight. And so long story short, we're going to have a lot more supercharger locations. I'm excited about that. But I'm just a little bit worried because I'm running into problems where there aren't enough places to charge. And once in a while, you get some asshole like the Model X owner with the rack on the back that has bikes on it, and he parks in front of three superchargers just to line up his so he can supercharge the one. That that is not going to fly.
0: Yeah, um, I love Electric Gen, but I've got to say this article in no way made me feel like this is a solved problem. This is not a solved problem. And again, I wish there was some article that we could reference to say, here is our plan, Tesla owners. Here's where, here's how many. They give you a little bit of an idea, a little bit of ahead of time, but surely they are in the back uh, crunching the numbers going, oh my God, the number of superchargers we need is so much more than a doubling." They're not going to double the number of cars they're bringing out. They're going to have a 5- to 10-fold increase in cars. So I'm no math genius, but that means that they've got to have 5- to 10-fold more superchargers in a short period of time. Yes, destination charging. Yes, 80-amp chargers are all going to be part of it. But the supercharger network has to greatly expand, and I don't see any stuff in the
1: news about where. Elon talks a lot about destination chargers being a big part of increasing the capacity of the system. And I had a a destination charger, how would I say, experience this weekend. I'm driving from LA. I drive up to the Sierras. I have to drive to then Fresno, but to get to the Fresno from the Sierras, you have to drive backwards to get to Buttonwillow and then up to Fresno. Basically, I pull into Fresno a destination charger with... How many miles on the car? What do you What do you think's like a comfortable number of miles left on your car? I get anxious below fifty miles. Two miles. I've got two miles, and my wife the whole time. Oh, I just won't even talk about it. It was an anxious time in the car. I was relaxed. I use a, a formula. Here's a Here's a fun fact. A good formula. You in your car with you're not as long as you're not carrying like you know bags of cement. It's just you in your car. 20% rule works all the time. you got to go 100 miles to get to your destination. If you've got 120 miles in your tank, you're golden. As soon as you start adding things, that rule gets a little bit narrower. And so it turns out my son, you know, he's like 17. And, you know, he used to be when I first got the car, he was like, you know, 90 pounds and five foot seven. Well, now he's like six foot four and 150 pounds. And he brings a lot of stuff and my wife. And I realized that the 20% rule, not so hot when you're filling up the car later. And so we, we pull into this uh, hotel in Fresno. I'm not going to, I'm not going to call them out because they actually, they did right by me, but it raised a big issue. We pull in, I'd already called them like six hours earlier. And I said, we're going to get there. I'm going to be low on charge. You've got a destination charger. I found it on the Tesla website. And so the woman was very nice. She said, yes, it's working. Um, I'll un- unlock it for you. So when you come in, you'll see it's right out front. And sure enough, we roll in right back into the space, two miles left, plug in the car, unload the car, check in. Everything's great. 1130 at night, the phone rings. What? We're all kind of startled because it's not the cell phone. It's the mm. room phone, you know, with a blaring. Okay. So the guy's like, you know, there's another Tesla here, and he says he has to drive to L.A., and he wants to use the charger. I was like, dude, I had two miles on the car. It's charging at 40 amps, so it's not going that fast, and I'm going to sleep. I'm in bed. I said, no. That was the end of the conversation. Get this. He calls me again at 5.51 in the fucking (laughs) Wakes everyone up, says, you know, the other Tesla owner really needs to charge his car. And I was like, do you understand that there's like a supercharger seven miles from here in Fresno? Why can't he just go seven miles to the supercharger? You're waking us all up at five o'clock in the morning. And it just raises a couple of points to me. Destination chargers, though they have grown greatly, right, in uh, August of 2014, when they sort of rolled out the program, they had 106. And then it grew in January of this year to 350. And already by March, there was 429 in the United States, 900 worldwide. And they're going to keep growing them big because Tesla, you know, it's a lot cheaper, A thousand bucks or so, two thousand bucks to put in a destination charger versus a hundred thousand dollars for a supercharger makes good sense, but it's just not the same thing. It takes a lot more time to charge at a destination charger if it's at a hotel. Once you plug in, it's like if you plug in at 10 o'clock at night, you're going to unplug at two in the morning? Not. You're there for the whole night and you're going to take up the charger that whole time. So it doesn't make good sense. And so let's not be like drinking Kool-Aid, thinking that the destination charger is the answer to everything. It's not. And as well, I think it's really important that if you put one in your facility, especially if it's a hotel, please instruct your night staff to not wake up the owner to unplug their car. That's bullshit. So the hotel did okay by us. They ended up in the end. The the manager said, oh, we're so sorry. They took half of it off of our bill. So I'm not going to call them out. So
0: uh, that was a Robert-induced rant, which uh, was a good one because it brings up lots of issues. So I would say destination charging is important. For God's sake, put in an 80-amp charger because that makes a huge amount of difference. I was just at my place and I put one of the first sort of generation um, chargers in there, a blink. And it does 15 miles (laughs) of charge per hour and I'm like this is really very slow which is fine because I'm staying there overnight no big deal but if you're going to put it in a hotel please put in an 80 amp that now you can get sort of a mile per hour a mile per minute of charge which is actually pretty good and if you put two in even better and then I think what's going to have to happen at these little places is that you give the key to the front man and say look uh, in an hour you can take me off or this is part of that electric gen here's the way we can do this.
1: Don't wake people up at 3 in the morning to have them move their car. You move it for them. Even better, this has not been done at many charging locations, but put the Tesla charger between two parking spots. If you've got me plugged in at one spot from the cell phone app, not the Tesla app, but from the other cell phone app that you can use Tesla's, you can unlock your charging port. And so Tesla could build this into their app, and they could also have an app that you give the hotel, and you could give the hotel permission for the next eight hours through the app to unplug your car. And then the hotel could look at your car's charge rate and say, oh, how many, sir, how many miles do you need to get to your next destination? And I could have said, I I need 82 miles to get to the next supercharger with a little bit of wiggle room. And then they could just unplug my car when the time comes the staff is there they're awake a little alarm goes off and they plug in the next dude's car there you could make with one electron with one you know it solution fix a whole lot of problems yeah and
0: you could uh, do additional things like uh, make the little car charger thing it'll just unlock itself and then it'll glow pink or something like that that tells other Tesla owners, okay, this person's, uh, they're full and they've unlocked, then I can just take it out and put it into mine. Some very simple, I would think, software and uh, human solutions to this issue. And I like that idea, put it right in the middle, then it can do two. And then if you use my idea, you have two super ch- destination chargers, now I can charge four of them. And I've got to say, it really works for me, I'm sure it works for you. I don't go anywhere now with my Tesla without first calling ahead and saying, do you have an electric car charger? And if you don't, I don't go to that hotel.
1: And so I know we have a lot of Tesla employees who listen in on this podcast. So I want them, since they can do this, you can't, I can't. I want them to email the Tesla supercharger team with just these instructions. Listen to this podcast. Do these things, Tesla, make this thing work. Or at least
0: tell us your plan. I'd love to hear the inside scoop. If anybody works there or knows somebody that works there, I'd love to hear an official here's our plan. We understand we're way smarter than you idiots on Talking Tesla. We got this covered. Please, I just want my anxiety taken away.
1: Do we have time to talk about
0: battery swap? Yeah, let's do it. Battery swap.
1: So I'm figuring, you know, hey, I'm going to go on this long trip. I'm going to have to traverse the state. I'm shuttling sun between summer camps. And wouldn't it be cool instead of having to stop at Harris Ranch for an hour or longer? Because you know, Harris Ranch has some of the diciest electrical supply of any supercharger I've been to. What if I did the battery swap? I don't care. It's 50 bucks, right? Or something like that. So I started calling during the week to the battery swap uh, program. And the first three calls that I made, I got really nice Tesla staff who had no clue what I was talking about. The first one was like, um, you know, they I don't think they're, Doing that, and I could tell they really didn't know what was going on. Then I talked to someone else, and they put me through to the Tesla Fremont factory tour. What? Tour? <laughs> no, I didn't say swap tour. No. So then I called back another time to the actual like nine one one Tesla service number, and the guy's like. Oh, I don't know if that's really working. We went back and forth. I said, please, I just want to talk to somebody at the battery swap. And so, sure enough, they gave me the name of the guy who was in charge of it, Mark Brooks. Mark, you never called me back. Mark, it's now Monday. I wanted to swap on Saturday. Mark, where are you? And so what I found out is that unless you're a customer-facing tesla employee you cannot receive emails from the general public so i couldn't even email mark mark hello (laughs) mark i'm waiting to hear from you my name's robert i called you i wanted a battery swap so what i take away from this is i think the battery swap program is 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 one employee away from death yeah i think it is functionally dead which is fine
0: um but just tell us And maybe they don't want the bad PR that goes with that because it was such a big deal when they did the reveal. And then Elon did come out and say, well, because we can charge so fast at our superchargers, turns out that people don't really care. Okay, that's fine. Now make sure that my anxiety about Tesla superchargers goes away quickly. (laughs) Let's talk a little (laughs) bit about Tesla. Tesla and um, Texas state law. So in Texas, you are prohibited from selling a car directly. You have to go through a dealer. And the argument against this is that if we don't sell through dealers, a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. And uh, the bottom line on this, and this is in a number of states here in the U.S., and it's maybe true in other countries, is that there is this sort of entrenched way of doing things, which is you sell cars through dealers Those dealers then have a relationship with you, theoretically. You then bring your car back and you get it uh, serviced at that dealer. And there's lots of people that work there. And these dealers have said, look, if we start selling directly... It's going to be a little bit like Walmart, a little bit like Amazon. Lots of people are going to lose their jobs, and this is very scary, and we don't want to do it. They then go to their Congress people and they say, here's a few million bucks. Could you advocate to stop Tesla doing this? Because it would be bad. It would be the end of the world. And I understand all those arguments, but I also understand that trying to stand between customers and uh, what they want never wins in the end. In the end, if Amazon provides a better service... We will use Amazon. There'll be new jobs that come up. In the end, mining for coal is bad. Yes, I understand that stopping mining for coal will mean that some people will lose their jobs, but maybe they can go and build solar panels. Now, I don't sort of gloss over that. I think it's a big deal. I think this is these things are radically transforming, and that means that a lot of people are hurt in the meantime, but to not do the right thing because it's hard
1: is a poor argument. And those people, I think that most... Uh, argue against Tesla selling in a state like Texas are the dealers who won't be servicing Ford and GM cars. And lo and behold, their employees will now go and work for Tesla, which is what's happening here in Los Angeles. That's what I've seen. A lot of people working at Tesla. And I ask them a lot of the time, I say, so where were you working before? Oh, I was working for BMW. I was working for Volvo. I was working for whomever. That's the shift that we're looking at. If those car companies can't get their together and make a car that everybody wants, then they're not going to sell as many and they're not going to service Yeah, if
0: you stop for a second and think about all of the new industries that can occur because of this radical change from a gasoline-based system to an electric-based system with destination charging and kiosks and uh, all of this stuff that can occur, there will be more jobs. There will be different jobs. Um, there'll be cleaner jobs. So let's sort of move with the times. But this is what happens every time an industry gets disrupted. There's lots of fighting and there's lots of pushing back. And instead of sort of staying, how do I ensure that my company will be strong a hundred years from now? What we do is we look at next term's profits and say, fight, 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 and pay off congressmen.
1: I like how Tesla is working the system, though. They're going to the Democrats. They're going to the Republicans in Texas. They're bringing the appropriate colored Tesla, right, a red (laughs) Tesla. I think they must have a blue Tesla at the Democratic uh, convention in Texas. And they're schmoozing with them. They're doing the right thing. I think this is something Tesla has lacked for some time. And now they're starting to work the political side of things even more aggressively, which I think is appropriate because – you know, they're, they're advocating for us, the humans of the planet, who don't need more Yeah, pollution. you can spin it
0: both ways. If you're spinning it to a group of environmentalists, you say, you know, less pollution, uh, save the planet. And if you're spinning it to people who just care about economics, you can say American built manufacturing in America, all good. So you know your audience and you spin it either way because you can spin it either way because it's doing all of those things.
1: And talking about change, if you think that selling a car online or doing it in a mall through a Tesla store is change, get this. On Thursday night, I was invited to a soft opening at the Nordstrom's at the Grove in Los Angeles. If you've ever been in Los Angeles, the Grove is, is this like Disneyland-ish shopping center alongside the farmer's market, and it's very posh. It's very high-end, and so I was invited to come to the Tesla soft opening of a store within the Nordstrom's department store. This was cool. They basically took a window display, and they sort of made it a little bit larger and put in an X. So right from 3rd Street – I think it was 3rd Street – you could look right in this – Big glass panoramic window at a white Model S with the Falcon Wing doors open. And from inside, you go into this little tiny showroom. It's got a wall full of the, you know, the slider panels where you can mix and match your colors in your interior and it's got two computers on the other wall where you can sit and order your car and there's going to be at least one person there to answer questions they're going to have a charger set up with cars to be test driven and this is a new paradigm for tesla is why bother renting a whole store let's partner with somebody like nordstrom's who brings in a high-end market mostly women but you know when You ever gone shopping with your wife, Mel? No. Well, so she says, "Uh, honey, I need some new shoes. Let's go to Nordstrom's. And you say, "Uh, I'm so (laughs) excited. And then she says, but you know what? They have a new Tesla showroom there. I'm (laughs) in. So it's a natural symbiotic relationship. It's in the men's department. I actually talked to the VP of sales, uh, and he was very excited about it. And I met this was the other remarkable thing. I'm walking out. I had my wine. I had a, an hors d'oeuvre. I got my little swag bag. It was very nice. And I'm walking out, and there's a guy in a Tesla shirt. And I looked at him, and I was like, wait, I know you from somewhere. And he looks at me kind of like, I know you too. Well, it turns out he was the guy in charge of the biggest Apple store on the West Coast in Santa Monica. He was their manager. And he's now transitioned over to Tesla and he's going to help their entire retail uh, chain in Southern California.
0: It's, uh, yeah, it's fascinating. I love this stuff to see how it's going to develop. I've got to say just from the buying experience, um, I've bought a lot of cars in my life in two different countries. And the buying experience has generally been horrible. You got some guy who comes up and's like, What's it gonna to take to get you into this car? And I'm like, Oh my God, I just wanna buy a car. I don't want all this crap. And the buying of Teslas is exactly the way me, introverted, don't wanna to talk to you, just wanna get my car. Just like Amazon, I just click, 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 and then I go pick it up. That's how I want to buy cars, and I think that's how a lot of people do. This going to see the car salesman and being attacked and uh, trying to upsell me, I'm not interested in it. I want to go to Nordstrom's, have a glass of wine, some
1: fries, and drive off with an X. Well, you know, Mel, you're a father. How did you spend your father's day?
0: Hung out at the beach uh, with my boy, and then I watched uh, some golf, and then I watched
1: some basketball. Excellent. Well, guess what? If you're a space father, they hung out in the beam. They've blown up the beam. That's the Bigelow expandable activity module that's attached to the International Space Station. There's a great picture. We can put it on the the show notes of the fathers in space hanging out in the beam. And they look pretty happy. Not really. And they're all kind of stuffed in there. The thing looks kind of interesting. There's a lot of like uh, I don't know these like bars and struts, and it it doesn't look like that comfy a space. But I guess it's just like a um, you know it's an experiment right now, and and it doesn't look like there's any holes in it, so that's a good thing too. So uh, that's just a, like an update on the beam, and happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there.
0: Yeah, a belated Happy
1: Father's Day, but
0: uh, I had a great day. What did you do for your Father's Day?
1: I drove all over. <laughs> I drove up the Central Valley. It was exciting. I did get to visit a couple new superchargers. I went, to, uh, I went to the Buttonwillow supercharger. Really terrific. Really nice. Empty. And a Starbucks within about spitting distance. And then I went to another one in, uh, now I'm blanking on the name of it, but it's right next to one of those Bass outlet stores. Mm-hmm. Manteca. Manteca, California, and I got to go to the Bass Outlet Store with like ten thousand other fathers who are buying all sorts of things, and I, I I wonder how many of them were just going to store all that shit in their garage. <laughs> Well, before
0: we get to letters, let me do one last one, which is your Tesla can swim. This is from MarketWatch. Elon tweeted this out, and this is how I got the heads up. And it's about a Russian Tesla going through a flooded underpass. And due to the weight of the Tesla and the sealed nature of those batteries, this car basically looks like it's swimming semi under the water through this underpass and comes out the other side, and then Elon's sort of saying, you know, because when the wheels spin, it can be sort of like the spy who loved me. And it's all very cool and funny, and you can do probably stuff in an electric car like this that you can't do in an internal combustion engine, at least one that's not modified specifically for this. But i got to say, having just watched the floods in Sydney and people trying to drive across flooded roads and multiple people dying because that is a really bad thing to do, I do not suggest that you try this in your Tesla or any other car. If the road is flooded, do not drive through because can happen.
1: Do we get credit as doing a public service announcement on that? It is, a, it is my that?
0: medical public service announcement.
1: Don't do this I, even though it looks cool. I thought it was pretty amazing. But what was most remarkable is that the dude actually filmed it. Right, <laughs> He had his camera on and he's showing the the backup camera view, which is just like this ocean of water. And he just kind of like moves on through and he's saying nothing. He's not like screaming or yelling or it was just pretty cool. Those Russians with their cameras
0: in their cars, it results in a lot of interesting video.
1: It sure does. And actually, t- uh, Elon tweeted about this, which everybody, if you don't get Elon's tweets, it's kind of interesting. He puts all kinds of stuff out there and he keeps talking. You know, he, I think we talked about this on a prayer show. He was the top bidder at an auto auction and bought the Lotus that uh, James Bond used underwater. And his plan is to convert that to electric and to produce some. But he says they're going to be like a million plus. But he expects there's a few people out there who want a car that turns into a submarine.
0: I had no idea. That is a great story. I want one of those cars I can't afford, one, but that would be so cool. Time for letters, Mel. Yep. I'm going to do letters. So we got some letters, and it's not clear to me, actually, whether this is from Terry Colgrove or if it's from Wayne C. Hmm. But anyway, he says this. Look, I know you guys aren't engineers. I love the show. But please, 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 please stop screwing up some of the nomenclature here you're killing me. So he says this. Could you get this one straight? The difference between kilowatt hours and kilowatts. If you're talking about gas cars, kilowatts would be the horsepower. And the kilowatt hours would be the number of gallons in the tank. Not all the same. And yet, you use these terms interchangeably, as if they mean the same thing. They don't. He goes on to explain that. And actually, next week, we're going to go into that in a bit more details. But let's say that again. Kilowatts is like power, and kilowatt hours is Storage, all right, got it. Our bad. We're going to fix that in future. I swear. Jimmy Enstrom suggests that we read a book and watch the YouTube clip by a guy called Tony Sieber, and it's called Clean Disruption. Actually, I've been told about this gentleman by a number of different people. So again, we might clip in some of his audio in future episodes. So thanks, Jimmy. Dave Solomon sent us a note. Seems like he is an Aussie, and he said, you know, one of the good things about this unlocking features later on in countries like australia is that there is a very big luxury car tax once you get over seventy-five thousand dollars. so if tesla can sell you a car for under that magic amount you're going to get tax less and then later on you unlock some of the more luxury features like you know more driving capacity because the battery is now bigger you might be able to get around some of these fairly high taxes for these luxury vehicles so interesting do they have that in mind not sure on a related note, Patrick from Oregon asks this question. Let's say I go buy a Tesla Model S and it's the 60 kilowatt hour battery pack version. And then later on, I upgrade it and say, okay, software unlock, give me some more. And it's a 75 kilowatt hour battery version. I like the way I said that. I've already learned. Um, will they rebadge it? And the answer is yes. In fact, uh, if you do that, they say, you know, bring back the car to the dealership and they will stick a new badge on for you. So I think that's pretty cool. The other question that I had, maybe we touched on it last time, is what if you're going on a trip? Like, I got a 60, but I'm going on a trip, and I'd really like the extra battery capacity. Can I unlock it for a month and then, uh, you know, give you a 1000 bucks, and then you can turn it off again? I wonder if people would do that, and I wonder if Tesla would sell that kind of software upgrade. Grant Tevin writes and says, who is the evil emperor of uh, artificial intelligence? He believes that it's Jeff Bezos and he sends us to a Quora article that suggests that Jeff Bezos and uh, Elon Musk, they don't like each other. Worth looking at in the show notes. And now one of my favorites, we have an audio letter. These are my favorites because then I don't have to do so much work.
1: This is Diego in Portland sending you my little audio clip as requested. I am a... 213 Nissan Leaf owner that
0: my wife uses. We bought that last year used. Why did we choose a Leaf? Well, because used Leafs are stupid cheap right now. And if you need an EV, especially to hold you over until Model 3, a used Leaf has got to be the way to go. It doesn't have the range that a Model 3 has, but as a little commuter car, it is ideal. And we've got a three-and-a-half-year-old and a one-year-old And um, as a family car, it works great. The only drawback to the Leaf really is the capability of putting on a bike rack on the back. That's, That's the only trouble I've had with it. Diego, I'm really with you. I loved my Leaf. I had the first generation. I was on the waiting list and I loved that car. I loved it because it was zippy, had lots of pickup, not like a Tesla, but it was zippy. It was small, so it was fun around town. You could get into parking spaces. The only real downside to that was, of course, the range was not very good, particularly with that first generation, 70 miles at best. But a second-hand Leaf, if you've got a kid who's graduating from high school and you really just want them to have something that uh, they can get to school with or a little bit around town, see some friends, really fast little fun car. And I looked up online and it really is true. A second-hand Leaf right now you can get for under $10,000 that still has good range. So consider that as sort of a second or third car or a first car for somebody you don't want to get too far from home. So thanks for your letters, thanks for Rob, and we'll get Tom back on the show next week. You know, he'll be stopping tripping around the world, whatever he's doing. And, you know, send us some more letters. Send us some of those audio letters on whatever topic you want, and we'll try and stick them in the show. We're going to go on sabbatical soon from the show, just for a short while, while we retool. We want to do many more interviews with experts. We want to increase the literacy of people listening to the show. That's not going to happen if you just listen to us idiots, so I'd really like to get caught up and get some more interviews from experts, and if you're an expert, let us know so that we can interview you. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. We really do thank you for listening to the show. Go on iTunes, leave us a rating, um, you know, leave us a comment. That really helps us to move up uh, those sort of categories, which makes us feel good, if nothing else. And uh, thanks to Robert Rosenbloom. We'll see Tom next week. My name's Mel Herbert. And be safe, be well. We'll talk to you soon. Oh, oh, before we go, to the person, and I'm sorry I've forgotten your name and I lost your email, to the person who told me that the Remote S app allows you to do keyless starting of the car using the fingerprint reader instead of password that the Tesla app needs, I thank you so much. It saved so much of my time. You're a good person. Have you enjoyed the show. And have me... been.
1: Talking. 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 Talking.
0: Talking. 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 Talking Tesla.